Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our uh, another episode of um, the Hillcrest Theater podcast covering Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. Um, I'm here again with Mr. Long, and I am Porter Aldridge. We're going to talk about um, chapters 12 through the rest of the book, so all of the battle sequences and the resolution of this story. Peter and Edmund and Trumpkin going into the Aslan's How, but they wait behind the door because they hear a discussion happening inside the room where the stone table is. Um, they just wait and listen. What is happening on the inside is there is a heated discussion between Truffle Hunter the Badger, um, Prince Caspian himself, Corn Dr. Cornelius, and Nickabrick the, the Black Dwarf. Um, having a discussion about how to move forward with old magics. Um, because Caspian Cornelius and Truffle Hunter all firmly believe that something is happening or something is going to happen with um, that, the, the horn being blown. But it's been a week and Nickabrick now sees an opportunity to try something else, which is where we pick up. Yeah, this sequence is uh, in the play. So we've got to have a, a hag and a werewolf who show up. I think Nickabrick is interesting. So I don't necessarily view Nickabrick as like evil, but then kind of, I guess, ends up being calling on the forces of evil anyways. Yeah. Um, but they stop him. Sorry. <laughs> Nothing. Okay. Yeah. Nickabrick's plan is to help have the hag and werewolf and other dark forces help him to reincarnate the white witch um, to try to use her power to defeat Miraz, ignoring the fact, because he never knew it, that the White Witch was actually even more of a tyrant than Miraz, and he would suffer even more. But because he doesn't know, he never lived that, he thinks that that's the plan that he wants to go with. Um, there's a line describing Nickabrick that I think is in interesting. Um, it says he's, quote, gone sour inside from long suffering and hating. Also at this point, um, the, well, Caspian and um, <laughs> Truffle Hunter start to like oppose um, Nickabrick and his hag and werewolf. Uh, and Nickabrick sort of sets up a 3v3 fight between them, not knowing that Edmund and um, Trumpkin and Peter are right outside the door. So when they burst in and have a quick little duel, it goes very quickly in favor of Caspian and the um, Pevensey boys. Um, also, Prince Caspian gets bitten by a werewolf. Is that ever addressed? The fact that he was bitten by a werewolf? I guess not. <laughs> oh boy. Is he going to turn into a werewolf? That was my immediate thought. Like, what? There are some good descriptions of the hag and the werewolf, though. Um, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's neat. Uh, when it talks about the hag talking, it says a dull gray voice at which Peter's flesh crept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. 
Yep, exactly like that. <laughs> you know how, like, technologically, I guess, or, like, costuming-wise and casting-wise, how those two characters, the hag and the werewolf, are going to work? Um, I know that it's going to be a lot in the dark, this scene. Uh, we're going to stage it with a lot of shadow and, and stuff. Um, yeah. But it does say that the the werewolf is a wolf's head and a man's body which means he was just turning from man into wolf at the moment he was killed. That's what they explain it. So he's not like full into wolf mode. Um, so we've got to go. Um, who's the, is that, what's that book series that had werewolves in it that everybody wants? like 15 years ago that everyone was they had made movies and made that guy famous but then he stopped being famous because he wasn't a good actor he just twilight yeah <laughs> that werewolves yeah there are werewolves in that it's werewolves and vampires <laughs> yeah what's the what's the werewolf guy i think his name is jake yeah what's the actor's name that was like uh, Taylor Lautner. Yeah, we got to go all Taylor Lautner on this werewolf. <laughs> yes. Poor guy. <laughs> Taylor Lautner, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting that little sequence and that C.S. Lewis puts that in here. Um, okay, so they resolve that. They get rid of the threat of evil coming in. The first threat of evil. Now they've got Miraz to deal with. So what happens next? Um, what's happening is then Caspian decides, or sorry, uh, Peter decides that their best plan of action, because they are outnumbered and like militarily, they will lose if it is just like Prince Caspian's army versus Miraz's. Um, but also at this point, Peter doesn't know that all of the like dryads and hamadryads have been um, summoned. Okay. Uh, so what he does is he issues a challenge, a one-on-one -on -one combat challenge between himself, High King Peter, and um, King Miraz, which is is neat. Um, yeah. uh, I like that he, uh, like when Peter is, having Cornelius write out the letter, he lists all of his titles, which is just, it's neat. Like as the high king of Peter or high king Peter, who was the king for an entire lifetime, basically before returning has earned so many of these titles, but is still a, like a child. He's like a 17 year old kid. Uh, it's also around that point where we meet these two up high like up and up guys in miraz's army There's two of his closest yeah. advisors glozel and sepespian who are rather interesting characters um, yeah they actually get get a good in the play some good stuff in the book as soon as like the full battle breaks out it, it talks about how within two blows peter killed sepespian <laughs> later legs and then immediately cut their head off um does this does the i forget i know in the 
movie, they added the element that Susan and Caspian have a bit of a like flirtation, which is not in the book. It's not in the play. Douglas C.S. Lewis's stepson is real angry about it. Um, so that's not in our version, but is the, the kind of little bit of like conflict between Caspian and Peter that's in the movie. Is that in the book Mm -mm. or is that kind of manufactured for the movie as well? That was probably manufactured because it it says a specific line um, about Caspian. Caspian was liking Peter very much, but was rather tongue tied. It was stranger for him to meet the great Kings out of the old stories than it was for them to meet him. Caspian is looking up to Peter. Like he has been looking up to Peter because they are like these revered kings from the old stories yeah in the movie they did the, had this like alpha male conflict where they were both like i'm the leader no i'm the leader i hate you that felt kind of juvenile to me huh. so yeah. that's neat peter also says to caspian at some point like well, I, i'm here to put you in i'm not here to take your place as king i'm here to put you in your place as king yeah so I've got good people to know. Okay, so we do this duel, or, or do we do the duel? Well, I mean, we haven't done the duel yet, but I think there is something slightly more, uh, like there's something slightly else where um, Glozell and Sepespian convince Miraz to do it. Like Miraz even says that like, logically and militarily, this makes no sense. Like we would beat them. Right. But then they, Sepespian uh, and Glozell like kind of imply that there might be like he might be seen as a coward which then Miraz like hates that so even though it makes no military sense he decides to accept the challenge and they do which brings up two things that show up in I think literature and stories a lot um I think of King Lear and like which is that like sometimes if you just leave the bad guys to themselves, they will destroy themselves is, is one of the like common things in, in literature is that like, yes, they always have some advantage and they, they, it starts to look like, Oh, they're going to take over and, and their aggression is going to lead to them getting all this power. But then, they usually destroy themselves from the inside. Like they destroy each other. Um, And uh, that happens a lot. Like Regan and Goneril turn against each other and Edmund, do you know what I mean? Um, And uh, here it's, it's Miraz's own like right-hand man who wants his own power. And it's usually because of that, like each, if, if you train people and let's do these terrible things because we want power, then what's going to stop them from then destroying you because they want your power, you know? And so that's where you got to be careful making evil alliances. If that's what you're considering in your life, because loyalty is not a trait that evil people value. Mm -hmm. Um, But you usually need loyalty and, and friends and stuff like that, but they will turn on you. The, you know what I'm saying? And that, that shows up a lot. So uh, here's another example of that. Um, and also the way they do it is by 
um, going for his vanity, which is also something that you see a lot that that can be the weak point of, of people a lot. Yeah. Except they do it in such a clever way because they're, they're just using like specific words, but they're telling him don't accept it. Like they're saying, don't accept it, but in a way that makes him like want to accept it. He, he even Miraz, this also reminded me of Lear in like Lear's um, I'll not weep uh, women's weapons, like that whole speech um, where uh, he's like, I'll, I'll tell you what it is, my lords, with your womanish counsels, you have done the very opposite of your intent. It's just neat that he decides to. And they're like, haha, tricked you. <laughs> yeah. So then he goes and fights Peter. Yep. Is that in the, the play of like one on one battle? Yep. Neat. Very cool. And then. But it goes back and forth between that and what then like Susan and Lucy and Aslan are out bringing reverse to life and crap. That's cool. Um, so they f- fight and Edmund almost, or sorry, Peter almost loses. Um, so they call a like break and then they go and chat with their people and then go back. Um, and it's like, Miraz at one point is on top of Peter about to kill him and then Peter flips him over and gets up but instead of killing him while he's down he like steps back and like is very chivalrous and is like like letting him get up so that if he can fight again he will fight with honor and not die like with his back on the ground. Unfortunately when Peter backs up to do that Sepespian and Glozel come in and stab Miraz on the ground while he's on the ground. Yep. And claim that Peter did the very thing that he chose not to do of like killing the man while he was exposed and on his back. Huh. From that point on, then it is the big all of the battles. Have we talked about Reepicheep yet? Not really. Reepicheep has he has existed. I think we talked about him in the second episode. Okay. Reepicheep's one of the great characters of the Narnia series I think um, and I'm excited for what we're going to do with Reepicheep in the play and like as soon as the big battle ensues Peter says um, come back Reepicheep you'll only be killed this is no place for mice but then Reepicheep ends up being like Reepicheep and his mice end up being the most valuable asset that they have because none of the Telmarines can see them coming I think we're also going to go female with Reepicheep make a bit of a statement there um so we have this giant battle because it turns into an all-out battle led by sopespian now on the other end because miras is dead yes kind of i think it actually is led by glozel yep or yeah glozel is the one that kills miras specifically for like insulting him calling him a coward um and Sepespian dies immediately. <laughs> yep. Peter swung to face Sepespian, slashed his legs from under him, and with the back cut of that same stroke, walloped off his head. <laughs> they still don't have Aslan yet, right? Um, kind of? When the battle starts. No. Aslan is off with Lucy and 
Susan at this point. And what are they doing? Um, they are restoring old Narnia. Um, the first thing that they do is they go to the Bridge of Baruna, as it is called now in this world. And even though um, the high kings and queens, when they knew it, it was the Ford of Baruna, and they Aslan summons the river god and tears down the bridge, so it returns to being the Ford of Baruna. From there, they go on like a whole journey to um, like on their way to Beaver's Dam freeing just a, a bunch of people and like doing magical things like there's a boy being whipped and they turn the man that was whipping him into a tree and then the boy joins them there's like a, a school teacher who was teaching a bunch of like bratty snotty piggish boys so aslan turns the boys into pigs and <laughs> then the school teacher joins them and the, the, the final place that they go is um, to the house of a, an old woman that is very, very sick. Um, and you can tell that she's part dwarf, which I, I love that that distinction of like the, the people that had a huge influence on Caspian's life were both part dwarf. Um, and even though she's on her deathbed, uh, um, Casper, Aslan and Bacchus <laughs> revive her back into at least some form of life. It's um, by uh, destroying the house, right? Doesn't he like blows the house away from her that she's inside of, or something? Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, that happens in the play. That's at that point. I like when I first read it. I gave up. I was like, okay, there's no way we're gonna be able to do this. And then I told Giselle, she's like, we'll make it happen. I was like, are you sure? It's like, yeah, I was like, okay. Because <laughs> there's like so many of these things. Because the whole river god thing happens. There's a bridge. The bridge has to break. The river god comes up out of it. We're going to do some cool stuff using the, the pit um, for that. Um, but we're also going to have it not just be a river god. We have this gigantic, um, gigantic river god thing we're going to create. But then he's going to have a whole army of river people in our version um, that come up out of the water and are like river water warriors that are going to be neat and come join the battle. Um, but then, yeah, then this, rather than just in the play, having it be like, and then they get, they find and this old lady and then they, they actually the whole house has to blow up around her on stage so we're, we've got a plan for that stay tuned um and then so yeah so then they've gathered this whole ragtag um army to come help although it is interesting that they he does make the distinction that Wherever they went in the little town of Baruna, it was the same. Most of the people fled and a few joined them. So it's not like it was this glory, like, yay, Aslan, and everyone went and joined him. Most of the people ran away terrified and a few joined him. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Yeah, there's also something <laughs> that is neat about like Miraz's society here, um, where it, uh, just like they're having a history lesson. Um, 
the sort of history that was taught in Narnia under Miraz's rule was duller than the truest history you ever read and less true than the most exciting adventure story. When you uh, control, that's one of the first things you do is you control the stories that are told and try to control history. Um, okay, so then they come and the battle, they join the battle and then they win the battle, right? You learned that the old woman that they went and saved right at the very end um, oh. is Caspian's old nurse from right. the beginning. Yes. And then, yes, they, they win. <laughs> yeah. At the sight of Aslan, the cheeks of the Telmarine soldiers became the color of cold gravy. <laughs> and many fell on their faces. I love that so much. And as okay. Move into the resolution. Yeah, and there's lots of fun stuff in this last chapter here. Welcome, Prince, said Aslan. So Caspian gets to actually meet and talk to Aslan for the first time. Do you feel yourself sufficient to take up the kingship of Narnia? I don't think I do, sir, said Caspian. I'm only a kid. Good, said Aslan. If you had felt yourself sufficient, it would have been a proof that you were not. Uh, let me get some Reepicheep, <laughs> whose tail got cut off in the battle. Just terrible for Reepicheep. It's the worst thing ever. Because yeah, it, is, it is their honor. Like their the tail is their honor, which is neat. I also think it's funny that in this it talks about how Reepichi he gets healed by the cordial, and then, but his tail doesn't grow back. It just like stump stumpifies, I guess. But he like spins himself in a circle, like the like a dog would do chasing their own tail. <laughs> I think that's funny. Well, and tails are used for them to keep balance, right? Like, yes. And so, um, something that I've found fascinating is, uh, so he asks Aslan to like give him his tail back, and Aslan doesn't necessarily want to. Um, it's not in Aslan's plan to do that. Um, but what changes his mind is that all of his like mice mouse tribe is like we're gonna cut our own tails off then and then aslan says you have conquered me which i just found that so fascinating considering like it's supposed to be like a deity type figure aslan that a lot of times we think like, well, there's nothing we can do to change the will of God or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And like, well, they just did here. Like the unity of, of his people said, no, like we, and he said, okay, I wasn't going to, but since you have great hearts, not for the sake of your dignity, Reepicheep, but for the love that is between you and your people and still more for the kindness your people showed me long ago when you ate away the cords that bound me on the stone table you shall have your table again. Not because he thought it was a good idea. Yeah. Which is weird. They didn't think it'd be a good idea, but okay. Um, and uh, we'd have another big dance party with Bacchus and the trees. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yay, and dance. lots of fruit. Yeah, and they like eat things. They eat fancy food. 
And the best thing of all about this feast was that there was no breaking up or going away. Oh, that's cute. It's not cute. That's tender. I like it. But they don't, so they they won the battle, but they keep the Telmarines there. Yes. Um, which is interesting. They don't just kill them all, but, the, you know, it's not interesting. It's, of course, that's what Aslan would do. He's like, great, come party with us, but we're going to rule Narnia now, but you're welcome to still be here. Um, and uh, again, they, they make a distinction between young people and old people because it says, um, it says, you may imagine that this caused plenty of head scratching among the Telmarines. Some of them, chiefly the young ones, had, like Caspian, heard stories of the old days and were delighted that they had come back. They were already making friends with the creatures. <laughs> All those people decided to stay in Narnia. But most of the older men, especially those who had been important under Miraz, were sulky and had no wish to live in a country where they could not rule the roost. They were also suspicious. And the more they talked to one another, the sulkier and more suspicious they became. Which ain't that the truth. <laughs> That's something. I, I mean, I don't mean to oversimplify that, but something we learn a lot in our like large group settings, whether it's the big musical or the Shakespeare team or, or things in large groups. There are, are always people who are sulky and suspicious. And the more they talk to one another, the sulkier and more suspicious they become. I've never thought of it that way with those words specifically, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Aslan builds a door, yay a door. <laughs> Three he doesn't build one he like breathes one into existence and uh then yeah this is where you tell peter and susan that they're not going to come back probably ever right yep um and they understand that somewhere in their souls what he's trying to say there and uh a bunch of the telemarines go through the door too, right? Yes. Because Aslan explains that all of the telemarines are humans that are were originally pirates that then accidentally went through one of the like chinks in the chain of worlds and ended up in Telmar and then invaded Narnia when there was a drought or something. So when they go through the door, do they go back to the the like world that they came from? Because only a day has passed there or something? It doesn't exactly say. Yep. <laughs> They're amongst us, y'all. The Telmarines and their descendants are here. Ah. <laughs> yeah, they say goodbye to Aslan and Caspian and leave and leave Caspian to rule Narnia. There's also a, a neat 
thing where like the, the first town marine who was like i'll go i'll do it like, I don't, i'm not afraid of your magic i'll go through the door aslan then says that um because you have spoken first strong magic is upon you your future in that world shall be good i think that's just an anything about like life where like if you are willing to act first fortune favors the bold that's so cliche but I mean, that's basically what Interesting. Basically the same. Huh. Okay. Any final thoughts from you? I, I love the way that this book ends. And I really hope that the play ends the same way where they get back to the train station and Edmund says, Father, I left my new torch in Narnia. Yep. <laughs> Makes me so happy. That is exactly the last line of the play. <laughs> it's the most British thing anybody has ever said. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> So we uh, learn a lot about, I think, bravery and fear and faith and decision-making um, in kind of a fantasy, all kind of locked up in like a war fantasy type story. Um, so we have a lot of jolly good fun but also learn about ourselves. What more do you want? Okay. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. The end.